Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. Mm. I'm popping bottles tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to episode 30 of the Send the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Justice Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J U M O S Q. I'm here with my co host, Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at 4Verts. We're here with a very special guest, Mina Kimes. You can find her on Twitter at Mina Kimes uh, off of you know various ESPN platforms. Say what's up to the people, Mina. Hey, what's up? Well, thanks for coming on. I'm glad you're able to make uh, time for us in your hectic ESPY schedule today. <laughs> I know it's uh, it, it, it's a lot. You know, my presence is demanded at a lot of places. No, it's not. It's actually my first ESPYs also, so I'm kind of excited, nerdily excited. Nice. Isn't what is it, like? What's the week? What's the week like? Like, it's not just one event, right? So you got to be yeah. Like a- I learned last night that it used to kick off with a party at the Playboy Mansion which they weren't allowed to brand it as like ESPYs related. So I think Hugh Hefner would just call it the sports party or something. Um, and so that's no longer a thing. I, because I feel like people are kind of grossed out by the Playboy Mansion now, right? It's no longer a I mean, destination. He was got to be like 150 years old by now. I don't, it's kind of <laughs> weird to yeah. me. And all those stories about like the pea stained carpets and moldy hot tubs. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, those were always there, I think. But um. Yeah, so last night we had a, a party to celebrate our body issue, which was, I think, kind of the beginning of the week. So, Nice. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, if you see Peyton Manning, tell him he's a fraud. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, Let me write that down. Uh, moving <laughs> on. Uh, we, Mina is a big-time Seahawks fan. You're from Seattle, right? Uh, I, I am sort of from everywhere. So my dad was in the military. So my dad is from Seattle, so the whole American side of my family is from there. And I, so I grew up a Seattle sports fan, a huge Mariners and Seahawks fan. But I've lived in a zillion different places in the U.S. Nice. And you're living in L.A. now, like you just told us before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little show behind the show. Yeah. Can, can we get can we get confirmation <laughs> on what the best coast is? Uh, I like the West Coast a lot. There we go. So I, and I was in New York oh, for 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Nah, East Coast, Beast Coast. I'm on that Baltimore time. <laughs> Is that a thing people say? East Coast, Beast Coast? Uh, just around me. Like, some of my friends from Jersey say that all the time, and it just uh, unfortunately <laughs> caught on. Okay. I'll remember that. Uh, but let's switch gears to the NFL and your favorite team, the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Very professional. <laughs> all right. We, we got Charles Blunder out of the way for this podcast, so we should be a clean slate from here on out. Got it. Yeah, let's just... Uh, right, I'll, I'll let it out. Roll. All right. <laughs> Well, moving on to uh, the Seattle Seahawks, when are they going to protect Russell Wilson? Like, how long can this charade go of them just putting cast offs at offensive line, expecting that to pay off? It's interesting because I just saw, I, I want to say it was a pro football focused tweet about how James Carpenter was sneakily good last year for the Jets, which was really upsetting. I think uh, Breno Giacomini, who they also had, our old right tackle, also improved upon leaving. And it, that's always the big question with the Seahawks is 
who to blame for it because it's not like they haven't invested draft capital in the position. They've been very stingy in free agency, um, which is undeniable, but they have drafted offensive linemen. So nobody really knows who to blame. You know, obviously Tom Cable probably incurs the most of it on Seahawks Twitter and amongst most fans, but it is a, it, it is a very clear and obvious decision they've made uh, that that is the position that they're simply not going to spend a lot on. And whether you agree with that as a philosophy or disagree with it, it's obviously tied to the quarterback they have, the running back they used to have, um, the defense they have, and how much they spend on them. You know, all these things work together. So it's it's frustrating and infuriating, but then you at times you step back and you realize you're rooting for a team that's gone deep into the playoffs every season. So, sorry, that was a lot. I just monologued a little bit. Oh, but no, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. It's a lot of rationalizing to answer your question. <laughs> that's a lot of fandom. So, I, so talk to me about how you're on ESPN platforms all the time and you are, you know, your background as a Seahawks fan is something that's known in the open. And it feels like, <laughs> I, I don't know how many, you know, how many people that that's true for, you know what I mean? Like, obviously there's like the Bill Simmons is right. But yeah. th there's not a lot of people who are just kind of openly, like I grew up a fan of X and that's okay. And it just being accepted. I think it's changed a little bit. I think Bill Simmons did play a big role. I think in, that sort of idea of sports journalists and commentators being more open about their fandom. And I always say that it's how you like ho being a Homer is different from being a fan. So in my mind, being a fan and in, in, in addition to doing my job, you know, is being honest and open and tweeting during games, being a Homer would be saying, wow, the NFL is really biased against the Seahawks or wow, all of these calls or, and I try not to do that. Um, I also uh, don't, report on the team. You know, I'm not a beat reporter. I, I do more features and profiles. And the ones I do tend not to really be about football analysis most of the time. You know, they're, they're about players and stories and that kind of thing. So I find that it doesn't really cause many issues for me, except for when players see my Super Bowl tattoo and are perplexed and amused. Would you get another tattoo if they want again? I don't think so. People ask me that a lot. Uh, <laughs> I was glad that actually I didn't have to get 49 or 50 because I thought they would look lame. Um, so the reason I have this is my brother and I, who are both, we're both crazy Seattle football fans, made a pact a long time ago that if the team ever won, because, you know, we had that, we, we hadn't won before, that we would get matching ones in the same place. So it's about the team, but in a lot of ways, it's more about my brother and I. So it's kind of like a bond that we have, if that makes sense. So that's kind of why I have it. Yeah, I'm a... Uh, a Falcons fan and I was so close I, I I was saying all season long if they win the Super Bowl or not all season long but in the postseason if they won the Super Bowl I was going to get a Falcons tattoo and then uh, the unspeakable <laughs> happened yeah we don't have to talk about that yeah I'm, I'm sure I mean I just can't not I think about it every single day it just makes me <laughs> so sad you, let me tell you as someone um, speaking from very similar experience it gets better does it really though I mean <laughs> Well, it was, I always tell people, people are always like, how do you go through that kind of devastation? And if we had not won immediately before, I don't think I would have gotten over it. But because we had just won, you know what I mean? If we had blew the shot, but because we had just won, that really mitigated a lot of the pain and suffering. Yeah, man. I, I was blowing up my friends' phones who are Patriots fans. When Robert Alfred had that pick six, I, I remember that picture <laughs> from the Boston Globe where Brady was on the ground and Alfred was running off in the distance. I had that like loaded up to be on a poster to come to my house the next day. 
And uh, oh my I, I was just waiting for them to win the game. And <laughs> 28 to three happened. And we have endless amount of memes. I was, uh, you know, at the game and working on a story the entire game about Alex Mack and how amazing it was. And then I had to scrap that story and write something about Martellus Bennett instead. So uh, very painful for me, too. <laughs> what is what is covering the Super Bowl like? Like the atmosphere, you know, just just the feeling in the stadium, how you get in, how people interact that week. How different is that from a normal game? It's very different. The access is obviously really different. I was lucky with Martellus because I knew him from writing a story about him before. So when we were, you know, all flooding the locker room and it's people who don't usually write about it. it it's like a whole mess. And it's like the Olympics in that way, which, which I've also covered. But um, so it, this Super Bowl in particular I think was really interesting because there were a lot of themes and contrasts between the two teams that sort of transcended the game um, and the fan bases as well. Just being there, you were able to really visually see it like, wow, these are different fan bases with different styles and which made it all the more heartbreaking. I think <laughs> the way it turned out, but it, it was a, a very cool experience. I actually, I got to watch this one um, from an outdoor press box, which was really cool because I was just amidst the noise and the fans instead of being in the inside press box, which I really enjoyed. That's cool. How far away do you think the uh, the Seahawks are from getting back to Super Bowl? I think it, it, it's this is a bit of a cop out, but it depends on two things. One is Earl Thomas actually healthy, and two is this line going to be average to below average, not poop so like a C level line and if those things are both there then I think they can get back to the Super Bowl yeah I I, I like the uh, addition of Eddie Lacy I, I think he's I think he's underrated because for some, I know people like to make the fat jokes on on Twitter but he averaged over five yards of carry last year and I know that the Packers line is a lot better than yeah. the Seahawks line and most lines are but I I, I still think that he can play and I, I like the dynamic of him precise and uh, Rawls in the backfield together that should be a lot of fun yeah, I think the reintegration of CJ Procise, uh, you know, assuming he stays healthy, which is a big if, um, can't really be underestimated. You know, throwing that into the offense last year for just a couple games was really exciting, and we got to see some plays that we just don't see, we haven't seen before, and I think it made the offense that much more dynamic. So if he's able to play, that'll be a big, big factor going forward. So what do you think the chances are of that that locker room just exploding this year and just derailing <laughs> everything? Because, you know, from the national media, at least, like everyone is talking about how, you know, the Richard Sherman trade and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, you hear a bunch of like people behind closed doors and like draft Twitter and things like that. And like someone tried to pass me like it didn't pass the BS test, but they were like, Pete Carroll's <laughs> trying to move Earl Thomas. And I was like, I can't believe this. And like I have not heard that. <laughs> So it's like, I, I don't know what the hell is going on. So like, what what do yeah. you think of someone who covers the NFL nationally and sees yeah. the fan? Well, I can tell you, I actually just was um, spending a bit of time with Cam Chancellor in Norfolk, where he's from. And it was right after a lot of these stories came out. And he is just a real joy to interview. He's very um, candid and funny and a, and a really nice guy. And in a lot of ways, the glue to that team um, from the locker room perspective, right? I mean, we saw last season that when Earl Thomas is not playing, the defense entirely falls apart, right? And a lot of that has to do with not only Earl's abilities, but the scheme and, and how they play together. But Cam is really, really important to that team. He's kind of the, the glue guy, I think, in a lot of ways. And so we were talking a lot about it. And, and he was just, you know, very um, 
open about the fact that they just happen to have really big personalities on that defense. And it's very, you know, they're just, there's a lot of, it's not so much a lot of alphas, but there's a lot of really dynamic, um, outspoken guys. And when that happens, stuff happens. But Michael Bennett, for example, who, you know, I've written about, he'll get in fights at training camp. And then the next day he is buddy, buddy with Jermaine Effetti. So the question is whether they can just keep it at that level, I think. Um, and I don't, I, I think it'll be fine. I actually think airing some of this out was probably good for the team too. Uh, just in, you know, in terms of the, now it's back to us against the world, which seems to be the, uh, dynamic that they thrive in, <laughs> even if it's kind of fake because they want a Super Bowl and everything. Oh, I have no one believes in us. You know, you know how teams do that. So um, I think I think they're in pretty good shape. It's much more about injuries for me. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that people were, or not that people were saying this, but when the reports came out that Richard Sherman had asked for the trade, that he was upset that the team yeah. had put Re- uh, Russell Wilson on a pedestal over the rest of the team. And I'm like, I, I don't know how much I buy that because Sherman's a smart dude and he's got to know that the quarterback comes before everybody. So I, I thought sure. it was kind of weird to see, like, I, I don't know. I, I think that people have a problem with Richard Sherman and the way he speaks and the way he acts sometimes, even though he's a smart dude. And I think that that also kind of lit the fire there too. Yeah. I think Richard Sherman, I, the story was in our magazine and I think it's all, it's all very accurate and good. And, um, but I'll say Richard Sherman, however he feels about the Dolphins defense dynamic, interpersonal stuff he and everyone else on that team knows how much that offense depends on russell wilson's healthy and they also know and i've had some of these conversations that he was a warrior last year like russell wilson played so hurt last season which is another reason why the offense was terrible you know and really really overcame a lot so just having him be healthy this season is going to be such a differentiating factor assuming he can stay on his feet it's always funny to see how like the public reacts to guys who are outspoken. Like today or yesterday when Calvin Johnson had the quote uh, on ESPN when they asked him uh, if he ever thought about switching teams. And he said, quote, uh, just like in basketball, you know, guys that create these super teams. But it's not quite like that in football where I had the freedom to just go. I was stuck in my contract with Detroit and they told me they would not release my contract. So I would have to come back to them. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the chance for them to win a Super Bowl at the time. And for the work I was putting in, it wasn't worth my time to keep on beating my head against the wall and not going where. It's just a definition of it's the definition of insanity. And people were mad at him for saying that. And I'm like, where's the lie? I, I don't I don't. Yeah. See where's <laughs> I, I. OK, so I think it's interesting because I talk about this a lot of time with the colleagues, how much amongst Media, maybe um, we've shifted towards being pro player, especially 15 years ago or even five years ago, to be honest, you know, with Durant, some of the NBA guys. And and so I, I agree with you. Like when I saw people on Twitter saying he should be grateful for the money they gave him. And that's simply ridiculous. He's Calvin Johnson. He was underpaid his entire career because he's a he plays in the NFL with a salary cap, you know. But um, I get it. If you're a fan, that stinks to hear. I sympathize with that to a degree, you know? So I think it's like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about him being ungrateful or wrong? Or are we talking about this idea that, yeah, it, it does it does stink to to be a fan of a team and hear your star player say he, he didn't want to play for the team. Like, I get that. So I I, I see what you're saying, though. I mean, I, I, I don't think anything he said was incorrect. It's just, it's always interesting to me how the fan thinks that 
they have some sort of control or they get to not that they get to have this visceral reaction because you can react to anything however you want to but it's sure. always just funny to see how fans get mad when players show you know a hint of personality and we see with Odell Beckham or even like LeVar Ball or a, uh, just a hint of their character and how they see things and when they're honest and tell the truth about how they feel about things I feel like there's a lot of backlash and I don't get why fans would just want their athletes to be quiet about stuff because they're human beings I, I, it's not normal it's not natural I think fans root for teams so you know that we we talk a lot like when stuff like this happens or we talk about contracts and people are always like why are fans always rooting for these rich owners well they're not they're not rooting for capital they're rooting for teams right so it's the jersey at the end of the day for most fans these players come and go but ultimately their loyalties lie with the team and in the nfl which has a salary cap that plays a huge role in the way they view these players and they view these teams. And I'm not saying that's right, you know, at all. I'm just trying to, I think that explains a lot of the way fans react to quotes like this or, um, you know, certain players. Obviously there are other reasons that have to do with race and society and youth and class as well. But I, I think the team thing, you can't underestimate how much in professional sports in, in America, players root for teams over everything or fans do rather i i think that's a good point too because i don't think fans think of ownership really at all like even when yeah. fans are there's the backlash of like player x made x million dollars right and it's you know these guys are being overpaid and they should listen to me and things like that and you know if if those players weren't getting paid that money that money still exists in the football you know ec- ecosystem so it would have gone to the owners instead and yeah. it's not like these fans are really rooting for money going into their owner's pockets. It's just no. like, it's just unthought out, just backlash kind of. The cap is huge too, because, you know, as, as someone who follows the three major sports, people do not get as angry when baseball players get paid. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. right. it's, there's not that same, like, Ooh, is this is costing my team because there, there's no cap. So there is some like, well, that's a ton of money. I'm, you could pay a hundred teachers with that salary, that kind of stupid reaction. Right. But for the most part, it's different from, the NBA and the NFL, where I think it really stems from this team allegiance. What's best for the team? Are we overpaying this guy? How is it going to hurt my team? Um, the cap has just changed that so much for people. Do, do you find it, uh, or, I feel like, or not, I feel like it, but a lot of people do find it noble when guys take pay cuts to make their team more competitive. And I just look at a guy like Dirk and Whiskey, I'm like, dude, you lost yeah. so much money for them to try and get DeAndre Jordan, who was held captive by Doc Rivers and Wesley Matthews, like I, I don't, I don't really see a, a sense of nobility in that. Yeah, I think it, it, I was arguing a lot on Twitter about <laughs> Kevin Durant. I think the other day I got a little bit lost in that um, because I saw there were people who were saying, "Oh, well, he's he should you're if you if you don't think what Kevin Durant did is good for players." you're wrong because he's a player and you should just be happy for him doing whatever he wants. And that's great. Kevin Durant can do whatever he wants, make his own decisions. He has that kind of agency. But when players do make sacrifices, it it is ultimately not great for labor and for the agri. I, I'm sorry to say that, but we saw immediately after uh, Steve Kerr come out and you hold him up as, as an example, right? And he compared him to Tim Duncan. And that's what happens when stars make sacrifices, they get turned into avatars for not being paid what you're worth. And, um, you know, it's undeniable that there is a chain reaction to that, I think. Yeah. Uh, so 
now that we've gotten you know those main topics out of the way, uh, we do have some interesting mailbag questions that we got from Twitter.com. Uh, we have six of them. One of them is from me, the last one. Uh, <laughs> the first oh, looking one. at it, okay. <laughs> the first one. You, you can just choose to ignore Charles whenever you want. Why? I'm good. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. First one from uh, our friend Scott Karasik at Karasik S. What are some struggles you face trying to break into the industry? Hmm. I guess it, it depends on what your time out when you talk about the industry. So I've only been in sports for four years. I'm in my fourth year. Um, I was a business journalist for several years before that, and then an investigative journalist. And then ESPN hired me away from uh, Bloomberg was my last job, writing for Bloomberg News and Business Week. So I didn't face any struggles, uh, I guess, breaking into sports because I'd already had a career in some ways. However, um, I think I've had some challenges after I got here, um, sort of figuring out how to navigate it, how to be taken seriously. Um, what kind of work I wanted to do. And yeah, it's been a lot, you know, with the taken seriously part, um, you know, I do, I started by doing some podcasts with my friend, Bill Barnwell, who was really the first person. I mean, I get that, that was a big, um, help to me at ESPN because I hadn't really had the opportunity to talk about football before then. And which is something I'm really passionate about and follow really closely, a little too closely. So that was a, a really, really great, a nice thing that he did for me as a friend and has created a lot of opportunities for me as a result. So other other than the seriousness of the topics and I guess like the, the audience, you know, either liking or hating numbers uh, between business and sports, what, what's the biggest difference between those two topics as a writer for you? So it's, it's really um, interesting because basically – in my old job, I spent a lot of time writing about old, rich, white men. And now I spend a lot of time writing about young, rich, black men. And, and, and it's very fascinating um, from an anthropological perspective and from how it's changed, um, you know, the stories that I write and the experiences that I have and then the similarities and differences, I think, between the subjects has been really interesting. I really love writing about athletes because um, not only because I'm a fan and, and I appreciate what they do and enjoy it because I've, I think I've just found them to be a lot more honest and open and vulnerable than the people I wrote about when I was a business journalist. So I really like that element of it. Um, but aside from that, all the tools are the same of reporting and researching and you know, I'm not reading 10Ks and looking at financial forms anymore and all that, but I'm still looking at statistics. It's just a little bit different. And then using those to inform my reporting and the questions I ask. Yeah, that uh, piece you had on the Bennett Brothers last, at the end of last summer, right? That was just awesome. I think I read that like four or five yeah. times. Thanks. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fun one to do. Yeah, I usually do a couple, maybe like two or three NFL profiles every year. Uh, next question from our friend Derek Klassen uh, at QB Class with a K. What's the most absurd rant Stu Gatz has gone <laughs> off about to you off air? Off air. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Mostly he's not afraid to just use them on air. So it's hard for me <laughs> to think of something that he didn't uh, talk about on air. Because I, I was there uh, a 
few weeks ago and Dan was gone and it was when the KD stuff was going down. So it was a lot of Stugatz talking about Kevin Durant. <laughs> um, and that was interesting. But um, hmm. I mean, we've had some good Jets conversations. Maybe I'll say that off air because Dan Libertard listeners do not want to listen to us talk about the Jets for two hours. Um, but, um, you know, he is a Jets fan and it is not a great time to be a fan of the New York Jets. I can't even I mean, imagine. I, I, I just... I just need confirmation from something for you from yeah. you, uh, Mina. Uh, in your record book, does Kevin Durant have a ring? <laughs> <laughs> he does, but in my book, a, a ring doesn't really matter. Why not? Uh, it's just, you know, when I think about players and greatness and who when we're comparing them over history, that's sort of low on the list of the metrics that I use. I agree. Championships for a team sport. Yeah, that, I, I will go to my desk saying Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback ever. I don't care if he never wins another game for the rest of his career. That's the best dude I've ever seen. Better than Brady? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be the question. See, I'm a, I'm a Packers fan, and, like, Aaron Rodgers absolutely, like, per pass, probably has the most, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's yeah. done that moment. But if someone comes to the table with saying, you know, Tom Brady's the best quarterback of all time, I can't even, like – what am I yeah. supposed to say? Like, he threw the ball prettier. Like, it, it's a very kind He's of silly-sounding argument. You know what I mean? It becomes into, it, like, it, it becomes a semantics argument, which is how do right. we evaluate greatness? Is it peaks? I mean, Aaron Rodgers does things that take your breath away on the field if you're a weirdo football fan like us. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, is that, how, is that greatness? Does that ultimately um, matter more than X rings? I think it, it's so hard because we all define it different ways. Yeah, and this just kind of gets you stuck in that LeBron James versus Michael Jordan argument, yep, which has just destroyed course. the past three or four months. And I'm a LeBron person, obviously, if it's not obvious. From Amen. <laughs> All right, next question from uh, at Keg Daily. Does the Falcons' epic collapse take any of the sting off of Seattle, ignoring Lynch at the one? Thanks. Um, I'm sorry to say this, but yes, oh. it really... It, because it's become more memorable, I want to say. I, is that awful? I feel bad, but oh no! It was as a far disaster. as like, like, what do you, what do you think? Th and this is a, what do you think was the worst choke? Oh, the the Falcons. That was one of the worst games I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I agree. Because the Seahawks, like, you know, I, it was so weird because Jermaine Curse had that catch in his crotch right before that was so bizarre that it was like a weird like I didn't think they were going to get to the one so it was like uh, the ups and downs were so strange whereas with the Falcons it was just utterly going off of a cliff and I knew I, I hate to say this but when I was at the game and when um, uh, what's his name fumbled Matt uh, Ryan? Fre Freeman oh, Fre oh no, no Freeman missed a no, block no, and Matt no. Ryan fumbled yeah, sorry, Freeman missed a ride. When that play happened, what was that, the third quarter? Like, was halfway, the fourth I quarter. I, th I don't remember. What, when that play happened, I knew it was over. Well, no, you know, actually, when – sorry, you're gonna, you're really, really enjoying this, right? Um, I knew it was <laughs> over when I, we were getting stat sheets every quarter, and at the end of the third quarter, we got a stat sheet that showed time of possession. And when I realized how long the Falcons' defense had been – I did not notice that during the game, how long they were on the field – I knew that they were pretty, pretty likely to lose. I was stunned. The discrepancy was in. I don't have it in front of me, and I don't remember. But I was absolutely stunned by how much, how long that that 
defense was on the field. I mean, they only ran the ball like like five or six times after like in the second half, and you were already up twenty eight to three. That was just unbelievable. And then when when Julio had that catch on the sideline, I lost my shit. Like I was going insane. And then uh, uh <laughs> I remember that was amazing. That was such an amazing catch. Just and then they threw the ball three times in a row and just wasted that field position. Just awful. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Mina, when you when you say when you say that play was the turning point, is that is that your your case for believing in momentum? Do you believe in momentum? I believe that, and this is not momentum, but I believe if you show a sliver of neck, Bill Belichick will step on it, and that that <laughs> was that was the moment I was like, oh, Bill Belichick, it's over. And I and I actually, I mean, this is a little bit wackadoodle, but you know, the whole thing is like, why did Shanahan do what he did? Why did Dan quit? Whatever. I really firmly believe as a team that went through this also that coaches get in their own heads when they're facing Bill Belichick and they, they do something to themselves and I don't know. So I think that is, cause it's not like Bill Belichick didn't, if, if I can argue in the Seahawks Super Bowl, he screwed up, you know, you remember in that final sequence. So it wasn't like he outcoached them, but I really believe coaches get in their own heads. It's very strange. We should move on. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, next question from at Lord Badnick. What's your Mount Rushmore for hip hop artists of the 90s? Oh, Mount Rushmore. Um, gotta have Nas, right, on there. Yes. Um, I am a big DMX fan. <laughs> he, I like DMX, but he, a lot of people say he's like one of their favorite rappers. I, just, I don't, I, I'm not that high on him. I just like I, I find him so amusing. I don't know, and I also um, have a DMX impression that I am told sounds like the Cookie Monster. Go for it. Let's hear it. <clears throat> X got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very that's very Cookie Monster. Yeah, that X sounds like, an the, like the Cookie Monster is being choked or something. It's problematic. Or right, who are the um, other two names? Yeah, I did too. Um, I guess Tupac. I don't know. Um, boom, 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 boom. I'll put Wu Tang on there too. Wu Tang? Does that count uh, as one Mount Rushmore head? <laughs> you, you it's a clan. Which, which head? Which head from the Wu Tang Clan are we putting on Mount Rushmore? There's one oh, right answer. Uh, Raekwon. <laughs> Uh, I, w- I like I like Redman a lot. I think some of his solo stuff was really underrated. I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm under a lot of pressure right now. To not make. <laughs> I just did that impersonation. I'm very vulnerable. How do you feel about uh, Biggie versus Tupac? You think Tupac's better? I do. Yeah. Mm. I'm not a big Biggie person. West Coast. West Coast. Best Coast. See, Justice hates Biggie too. Justice said that Big Sean is better than Biggie. Big Sean. I said he was more influential. That is sacrilege. I said he was more influential. You're putting words in my mouth. Big Sean has some jams, though. It can't be denied. Drake Drake stole Big Sean's flow for like three albums. <laughs> Which I, don't is, like, I don't like Big we're, Sean. We're I just waiting for like, theory territory here. Wait. Dr- what, what albums did Drake steal Big Sean's flow on? I'll, we'll talk about this in a group chat. I'm not trying to do this on record when I can be fact-checked. Okay. <laughs> I have no no takes on this matter, so. All right. Uh, Who, if you could see any uh, hip-hop artist dead or alive in concert besides DMX, who would it be? Or Nas? Any hip-hop 
concert, dead or alive, today. Off of your Mount Rushmore. Oh, well, Tupac, obviously. No, no, I mean, like, excluding your Mount Rushmore. Oh, okay, sorry. Excluding my Mount Rushmore, any... Um, this is so lame, but I've never seen Kanye, and I really want... I, I would love to see Kanye concert. I've never been to one. And I'm a big fan. Yeah, I was supposed to go to his concert last winter, but uh, it got canceled, and I forgot to put insurance on my ticket, so that was just a couple... A nice little check that I set on fire right there. Definitely want to go for the insurance with Kanye these days. Yeah, I was just I was just so excited that I did not think to do <laughs> you it. You wanted to time. believe. I wanted to believe that he was still going to go through with it up until like the day before. And uh, nope, did not do that. I'm a big, uh, this is a really hot take. I'm a big 808s fan. I listen to it all the time. I think it's a great album. It's like the best winter driving music possible. Totally. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's just a really good album. Anyways, what's the next question? Okay, I was about to because I was about to say 808 is my least favorite Kanye album, but it's most people's least favorite Kanye West album. That's why it's a hot take. All right, uh, next question from at Andrew Harp underscore. What's the etch a sketch drawing you're most proud of? Ooh, that's a good question. I like the one I did. Uh, it wasn't not because of the difficulty or technique, but I remember during a game this year when Dak Prescott was struggling a little bit and then he came back and played really well, of course, but I did a etch and sketch of Tony Romo as a frog sipping tea. Um, it just was very topical. <laughs> now, how long did it take you to master the etch a sketch stuff? Cause I can barely draw like a straight line on that thing. I've been doing them since I was a child actually. And then I kind of fell off of it for a while. And then my dad got me one a few years ago and I just started doing it during games when I wasn't, when, you know, games I didn't really care about sometimes and I was watching baseball, I would do them a lot and yeah, it's just kind of a, it, they usually take me about 30 to 45 minutes. How many extra sketches do you own or have you owned in your life? I currently only own one and it's this really goofy like blue Toys R Us one. I don't know where my dad got it, but I, I had, when I was younger, I had a traditional one that was smaller. Yeah. So is that how we say baseball? Extra sketches? During the games? Yeah, because, like, what else do you can do during baseball? Watch? Turn the channel. I actually like baseball, but I like it in the way I just described, which is it's good to have on while you're etching sketching. It's, it's like, good background noise, because I, I just don't know any of the players, so it's hard for me to get invested in it. Yeah, I play fantasy, so that helps a lot. Are you in Stu Gatz's league where they put up, like, $20,000 <laughs> a piece? I'm not, I'm not at that level yet. No. <laughs> Okay, well, the last question from at Four Verts, Charles McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> Will you follow us on Twitter? Do you know what I feel like right now when you see a woman who's being proposed to on the like cam at a game and she doesn't want to embarrass the guy proposing to her? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I have to think about it, guys. I'm not going to say yes or no, but... I already thought I, 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 I the, it's not like I'm like, so oh, I got to get my numbers down or whatever, but I sometimes make the mistake of following people. And then I realize they tweet too much and then I have to mute them. So I don't want that kind of business going on. That's fine. Charles got curved. It's okay. Wow. He deserves it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take yeah, my, he had it coming. He had it coming. I know. What happens when you go for a heat check, Charles? I'm sorry. I'm just... I, I just got to do a little recon. I'm not going to immediately say yes or no. That's all. I'm a discriminating person. I'm going to uh, take my complaints to our mutual friend, Natalie Weiner, and see what she can do about it. 
Didn't put in a good word. Chill. Yeah, that's like my thing with Barnwell. People tweet at me all the time asking me to ask him to unblock them. Uh, Charles, only done that with Kim Charles did that with Kim Fahey. Like, no, he have you guys blocked? No, Keith doesn't. Yeah, block yeah Charles blocked, not me. No, he didn't. Uh, who no, was it? It was Bill what? Barnwell, and I asked Natalie to get him to unblock me. <laughs> oh. It was Bill Barnwell. Why yeah. did he block you? What did I, you do? You I, I probably deserved know. it. No, you definitely I, deserved it. I had one tweet at him where he asked what he. It was like two years ago. He thought he asked what the worst play in NFL history was, and I sent him that play where Josh McCown is playing for the Bucks and it's raining versus the Panthers, and he fumbles a snap, picks up the ball, and then gets hit as he throws it and gets picked off like one yard behind the line of scrimmage, and then he just blocked me. You eh, is that why yeah. I am suspicious? I, I mean, you can look through. Mm. It. I'm not a big blocker. I only block, you know, like people who tell me they want to like burn my hair and do terrible things. <laughs> so, yeah. which happens a lot. Um, but I, I'm not a big blocker. So, yeah. I will not block you. How about that as an answer? All right, I'll t- I will take that as a win. <laughs> Happy medium. Uh, all right, before we let you go, anything that you're working on that you want to let the people know about? Uh, well, you know, I have my usual NFL profiles that will come out in about August. So look forward to that. I'm not going to can't reveal what they are. Um, and yeah, actually, you know, I mentioned I interviewed Cam. That's no secret. So we have an E60 coming out on him in a couple weeks. That'll be a lot of fun. Nice, nice. Uh, and for those of you listening, be sure to check out settingedge.com. We are rolling through the AFC West with our season previews. We're going to have the NFC South uh, podcast up in a bit. And, uh, yeah, so we're almost, Justice, we're almost done, right? We have eight teams left or six teams? We have, we have six. I mean, oh, after today, we're going to have five. So, wow. Almost Was this there. the Seahawks preview? Did we just preview the Seahawks? I had no idea. No, oh, no, no, no. no. Oh, okay. You can come back to exactly. that if you'd like. We, we, hey, we can count that. We'll just knock off a team. Happy to answer more Seahawks questions. <laughs> you know I mean. Perfect. Maybe we can get you and Danny Kelly on to do a little NFC West extravaganza. He is my bud, so yeah. I'm sure he would. Yeah. He's a good guy. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's going to conclude episode 30 of Setting the Edge. Thanks for rocking with us through these first 30 episodes. We'll be back next week with Field Yates as we preview Ooh. the 2017 NFL season. Yeah, that's a very handsome man. Very handsome. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's great. All right. Uh, well we'll dressed, you. too. We'll see you guys next week.